Well, Chippy the parakeet was singing a song one day, swinging on his perch, minding his own business, when his owner decided to clean the cage. And she was interrupted by a phone call and went to answer it, but forgot to turn off the sweeper. That's when things began to go horribly wrong for Chippy. The vacuum cleaner sucked up the bird and sent him into the dust bag. And upon returning to the cage and finding it empty, the woman quickly shut off the vacuum and tore open the bag, fearing the worst. But Chippy was still alive, although stunned and covered with dust. So the lady ran into the bathroom, turned on the cold water, and stuck Chippy under the spout. Well, now the bird was cold and wet, so the owner grabbed her hairdryer and turned up the hot air full blast. So Chippy goes from being sucked up, propelled down a vacuum hose, buried in the dust, drowned in cold water, and blasted with hot air. Later that week, um, the owner was telling the story to a friend who asked about how Chippy was doing. And the lady said, well, Chippy doesn't sing much anymore. <laughs> he mostly just sits on his perch and stares. So, does this sound at all familiar? <laughs> Have you ever felt like Chippy? You're swinging and whistling through life when all of a sudden you're sucked into a black hole of pain or heartache or discouragement or worry or confusion or defeat. One moment you don't have a care in the world, the next you're in the middle of a serious trial or a problem or difficulty. Well, I'm afraid it's just a fact that there will be dark days. There will sometimes be dark seasons when the song gets sucked out of you. Now, to be honest, I don't feel like I have as much experience with this as some of you. But I do remember a few years back losing quite a bit of weight in a relatively short time. So I went online and I started reading about my symptoms and I thought, this sounds to me like pancreatic cancer. I incorrectly diagnosed myself with something very serious, but then a blood test and an endoscopy and uh, subsequently learned that I had a food allergy. Now, I used to think people with food allergies must be hypochondriacs. Now I am one. Not a hypochondriac, but a person with a food allergy. Anyhow, a gluten allergy means no more regular cakes, pies, cookies, biscuits and gravy, bagels, donuts, pizza, bread. It's a long list. You talk about being sucked into a black hole. Kayleen would later tell me that during this dark time of self-diagnosis, I stopped singing in the shower in the mornings, as was my custom. And I think I can actually remember a few days that I sat in a chair and stared into space. Now, honestly, celiac has not been all that life-changing for me. There's no surgery, no medication required, but... There was just something about waiting on the diagnosis, getting the news, adjusting to the fact that I have an incurable condition, controllable with the right diet, you understand, but not curable. 
And it impressed on me like nothing has ever been impressed on me before in my life. It impressed on me the reality of my own mortality, and it sent me to a dark place for several days. Now, I think most of you here tonight probably have your own story. Most of you can identify with those dark times when you find yourself frustrated or discouraged. You seriously wonder whether God is watching over you, and you suspect that He probably doesn't know or doesn't care what you're going through. You question whether He is helping you, and you doubt that you'll ever be strong enough to help others. But together, we're learning from His Word that God works the night shift, and He's working in ways that will ultimately bless and benefit us, His people. And would you venture a guess as to what is the most often whispered Bible verse in times of painful perplexity? and shattering disappointment. Yes, it's Romans 8.28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. Probably one of the most misquoted and misunderstood passages in the Bible. It's because people tend to read into this verse something that's not there. It doesn't say that God causes everything to work out the way I want it to. That's not what it says. Obviously, that's not true. Neither does it say God causes everything to work out to have a happy ending on earth. That's not true either. There are many unhappy endings on earth. My mother-in-law said it a little differently throughout her life. She had a habit of saying, everything happens for a purpose. Have you heard that? Everything happens for a purpose. Maybe you've even repeated it. But when I hear that, it always leaves me asking, what purpose? If you've had the rug pulled out from under you in life, you might need to hear something more. And the truth is, and stay with me here, Romans 8.28 is only half a thought. It needs to be linked with the other half of the thought. Romans 8.29, the very next verse. Yes, God does work for the good of those who love Him. And yes, we are called according to His purpose. But what is that work? And what is that purpose? Well, Romans 8.29 makes it clear. For, that means it's got to be linked to what we just read. God works all things together for the good of those who love Him, who are called according to His purpose. For, those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Now listen, I am not trying to give you a headache here. Let me show you how the Living New Testament translates these two important verses and in the process, hopefully, simplify them this way. We know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. For God knew His people in advance, and He chose them to become like His Son. So what is God working for in my life and your life? What's He up to in 
our lives. He is working for one good thing. He is up to one good thing above all others. He is about making you and me more like his son, Jesus, period. This is the most vital work that God is doing when he works the night shift. Now, it's actually our Creator's original purpose for us, as revealed in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. You remember this verse, let us make man in our image, in our likeness. So mankind is, you and I are created to become like Christ. From the very, very beginning, God's plan has been to make us like His Son, Jesus. And it's, ex- it's stated exactly in those words in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 24, you were created to be like God, truly righteous and holy. Rick Warren writes about it in his book, The Purpose Driven Life. Here's what he says. God's ultimate goal for your life on earth is not comfort, but character development. He wants you to grow up spiritually and become like Christ. Becoming like Christ does not mean losing your personality or becoming a mindless clone. God created your uniqueness, so he certainly doesn't want to destroy it. Christ-likeness is all about transforming your character, not your personality. God not only had this in mind for all humanity in our creation, that is when we were born, but also in our recreation. When we're born again, we become disciples of Jesus. The work of the Holy Spirit that indwells our mortal bodies from the time of our baptism, according to Romans, or rather Acts chapter 2 verse 38, revealed in 2 Corinthians 3.18. Look at this. In creation, we're to be like Him and in recreation, as the Spirit of the Lord works within us, we become more and more like Him and reflect His glory even more. Maybe you've heard the word sanctification. Kind of a scary word, but it's a great word. You know what it refers to? You know what sanctification refers to? It refers to the Holy Spirit's process of changing us to become more like Jesus. And folks, this is so simple, even Justin Bieber gets it, although he seems to have a lot of difficulty living up to it. He seems to be more of a fan than a follower right now. He says he wants to pursue Christ-likeness. These are his words. He wants to pursue Christ-likeness with increased focus. In an interview with Joe LaPuma for the October and November 2015 issue of Complex Magazine, Justin Bieber bared his soul. Here's what he said. I do not want to shove this down anyone's throat. I just want to honestly live like Jesus. Not be Jesus. I could never. I don't want that to come across weird. But he created a pretty awesome template of how to love people and how to be gracious and kind. And if you believe it, he died for our sins. Justin Bieber gets it. So author Ron Mel is right. God is not up to five things. He's not up to 15 things. He's not up to 27 things in your life and mine. 
His purpose is not to make me a better preacher. His purpose is not to make you a better dad or mom, wife or husband, son or daughter. His purpose is not to transform you into the world's best manager or cop or teacher or bricklayer or brain surgeon. He is not working the night shift to give you a position or prosperity. He's bending his power. He's bending his will to one purpose, and that is conforming you and me, his adopted children, into the image of Jesus. Now, he may be delighted and pleased to help you become a wonderful mom or dad or doctor or basketball player or Bible teacher, but that's not what he's mostly about. His greater objective in your life, the reason he's leaving you on the earth right now, is to make you more and more like his son. But becoming like Christ is a long, slow process of growth. Spiritual maturity is not instant. Spiritual maturity is not automatic, it's gradual, it's progressive in its development, and it'll take you the rest of your life. That's what Paul meant in Ephesians 4.13 when he said, this will continue until we are mature, just as Christ is, and we will be completely like him. So, you and I tonight, right here in church, we are a work in progress Our spiritual transformation in developing the character of Jesus is going to take the rest of our lives and it will not be completed until we die and go to heaven or until Jesus returns. And at that point, at that point, whatever's unfinished in our character development is going to be finished on the spot. 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, dear friends, we're already God's children, but he has not yet shown us what we will be like when Christ appears. We do know that we will be like him, for we will see him as he really is. But until the day Christ appears, or until the day you die, no matter who you are, you're going to have to live through, you're going to have to cope with some dark days. Jesus said in this world, you will have tribulation, you'll have trouble. Be, but he said, be of good cheer. I have overcome. Now, when I hear those words, what I hear is, be encouraged. God works the night shift. Okay, pastor, I get it. I get it. I understand. That's God's purpose, to make me like Jesus. So give me something practical I can take home tonight. Okay? Here you go. In your dark days, number one, never forget that God's plan for you is good. And some of you here tonight need to hear that. You came to church tonight to hear that. God's plan for you is good. Your Heavenly Father knows what is best for you, and He has your best interests at heart. Joseph understood this truth. His own brothers had rejected him, abused him, seriously considered killing him, sold him into slavery. That's what I call a dark season right there. But Joseph told his brothers in Genesis 50, 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. And the prophet Jeremiah gave this message of hope to the people of Israel. 
They had been defeated in battle. They were exiled. They were without homes. They were without jobs. They were without income. They were living in abject poverty. Their families scattered when they received this message in Jeremiah 29, 11. The plans I have for you are plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. And the prophet Hezekiah had a life-threatening illness. He was at death's door. But in Isaiah 38, 17, he reflected on those dark days when he was near death. And here's what he said. Surely it was for my benefit that I suffered such anguish. So the next time you ask God for relief and he's silent, in effect saying no, to your prayer. Just remember Hebrews 12, 20. God is doing what is best for us, training us to live His holy best. Throughout life, you're going to sometimes have to take unpopular stands. And sometimes you're going to have to make tough, self-sacrificing decisions. And sometimes you're going to have to stand alone and suffer the howling winds of adversity. And just remember, through every heartache and every struggle, listen, He is making you like His Son. And that's a good thing. Whether you're young or old, a baby believer or a seasoned saint, remember there's one thing going on in whatever hardships you are enduring. God is working in the dark to do one thing as his highest priority. He is shaping you to look more like Jesus. So don't forget Romans 8.28 comes before Romans 8.29. And Romans 8.29 cannot be forgotten when you read Romans 8.28. Every in every circumstance, God will be working it all for your good. You've been called according to his purpose to have whatever happens in your life to make you more like your Savior. So no experience. No experience in your Christian life is wasted. No pain. No anxiety. No hard work. No tears. But what if I don't feel like anything is going on in my life? What if I can't sense that he's making me more like Jesus? Well, that's why Paul said, we know. We know that in all things. He didn't say, we feel. He didn't say, we think. He didn't say, we hope. He didn't say, we sense. He didn't say, we imagine. He said, we know. Keep that word, know in your faith vocabulary. Because when you don't feel that God is working the night shift for you and you find yourself groping around in the dark, you're going to need a few things nailed down in your soul. And that's why Paul himself was able to write this from the filth and stench of a Roman dungeon. 2 Timothy 1.12 For this reason I also suffer these things. For... I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep what I have committed to him until that day. You see, because of what Paul knew, 
even though he was alone, in the dark, confined in a prison cell, facing execution, no wife or kids to mourn his death, abandoned, his body beat up and scarred. He couldn't move a muscle without pain. He didn't have a cent to his name after a lifetime of toil with feelings that ran the gamut. He said, listen, there may be a lot I don't understand, but I know this. I know the one in whom I have believed. I know the one I've trusted to save me. I know he will bring me out of the darkness into his everlasting life. I know his plan for me is good. Here's something else when you're having a dark day. Never fail to rejoice and give thanks. Now, only a Christ follower can honestly suffer with a spirit of optimism and hopefulness. And it's not because we're superficial. It's not because we don't take life seriously. It's because of passages like 1 Thessalonians 5.18 where Paul exhorts us to give thanks in all circumstances. So this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. But notice he says in all circumstances. Give thanks in all circumstances, not for all circumstances. He doesn't expect us to be thankful for disease or death or drug abuse or divorce or despair. We can be thankful in all circumstances because we know he will use every hard and hurtful circumstance in our lives to fulfill his purpose to make us more like Jesus. And from a cold, wet, dark prison cell, Paul wrote Philippians 4.4, Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. We don't rejoice in the pain. We don't rejoice in the heartache or the alienation or the discomfort or the separation or the uncertainty of life. We rejoice in the Lord's love, in the Lord's grace, in the Lord's care, in the Lord's wisdom, in the Lord's power, in the Lord's faithfulness. We can also rejoice knowing he's promised that when we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. James chapter 4, verse 8. We rejoice knowing that he will never leave us or forsake us. We rejoice in knowing that, that God is going through the pain with us. We don't serve a distant and detached deity. We serve a heavenly Father who entered into our suffering in Jesus, and he enters into our suffering in the Holy Spirit. He'll never leave us alone. 1 John 4, 4, the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. He's taken up residence in you. He's going through it, whatever it is, with you. So never forget God's plan for you is good. Never fail to rejoice. Never fail to give thanks on the dark days. Last week I showed a video interview of Brian Comstock, one of our Crossroads men who has been battling stage four cancer of the jaw, gone through unbelievable surgeries. What was not captured on that video interview was Brian's incredible sense of humor. I wish we had captured that in that interview that day. He is not failing to rejoice and give thanks. Well, so never forget, God's plan for you is good. Never fail to rejoice and give thanks on the dark days. Finally, there's this. Never give up. James, in his little epistle, 
also encourages us to find reasons to rejoice in the midst of troubles. And here's one of the most helpful and powerful verses in the Bible on what God is doing when he works the night shift. This is James chapter 1, verses 2 to 4. Consider it pure joy. Pure joy. Something special about that kind of joy. Consider it pure joy. Whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I love uh, stories of people or teams or nations that refuse to give up in the midst of adversity. I think of that old poem by Ernest Thayer, Casey at the Bat. You know that old poem? Things were not looking good for the Mudville team. The outcome of the game looked hopeless until Casey stepped up to home play. He hadn't given up, but his teammates had. And I think of Lincoln during the dark days of the Civil War. I think of Churchill unbowed by the relentless bombing of Nazi Germany. I think of Louis Zamperini unbroken by the Japanese in World War II. Listen, the troubles and trials of this life are also tests of faith that can make you or break you. And the word we just read in James chapter 1 that was translated perseverance, do you know what that word means? It literally, in the Greek, means remaining under. In other words, the testing of our faith as believers should cause us to remain under God's protective custody, God's protective care. The testing of our faith, the trials we go through, should make us, in effect, more dependent on God. And that increased dependence on God can accomplish something very special in us. It can make us more like Jesus. It's another way of saying that if we refuse to give up and we depend on the Lord through our dark nights of the soul, He will finish His work in us, making us mature complete, not lacking anything. It's in the darkness that he makes you more like him. And you may say, well, nothing good happens at night. Night, that's when cats get run over. That's when people get mugged. That's when cars get stolen. Now, something, something good does happen in the dark. God does his greatest work in the dark, conforming us to the radiant image of Jesus. Even though you may not feel it, even though you may not understand it, that's what he's about. If we increase our dependence on him, if we remain under him, that's not what some people do. When they have dark days, have dark seasons, they walk away from the Lord. There are people who will not come and worship God in this church because they attended a funeral of someone that they resent that died and the funeral was held here. That's not remaining under Him. That's not increasing our dependence on Him. I'm told that most artists like a lot of light in their studios. Artists like big windows, 
artists like skylights and directional lights to illumine what they're painting or what they're carving or what they're shaping. Yet God creates his masterpieces in the dark during the night shift. And your life is the canvas. And the paint, that's your pain. And the brushes are your trials and troubles. And yes, the portrait is you, but it more closely resembles Jesus. Will you stand and pray with me? Lord, I had it in my head. I had it in my heart. I pray it got translated tonight. That you work the night shift and you can do things in us through our pain and trials, our heartaches, that you can't accomplish at any other time because sometimes we don't give you our attention. We don't give you the time, but when we're broken, when we're hurting, it just seems like seeking your face is the thing to do. And so, Lord, we want to give you permission to do your work in us, to conform us to the likeness of Jesus. May we go home tonight and go to bed with this on our minds. May we awaken in the morning with this on our minds. How much do we look like your Son, our Savior, Jesus? In his name, amen.